Show. We're uh, trucking along here today. Well, I don't know how long we're going to be trucking with diesel shortages and costs going up and oh, maybe the economy will come to a screeching halt. Well, that's okay. When that happens, we can then all stay home and educate our children in the proper way and bring them up properly. To help us figure out how to do that is Susan Pendergrass, our good friend from Show Me Institute, where she's the director of education policy. How you doing, Susan? Good morning, Randy. I'm doing great. How are you? I am real good. Hey, thanks for uh, being our educational guru here on the program. And uh, a couple of things really troubling me, and I want to cover both the recent Blue Ribbon Commission on Recruitment and Retention of Teachers and your thoughts about that, as well as a new national report that finds Missouri student test scores dropping during the pandemic. But I mean, it's a precipitous drop, not surprising, Mm -hmm. but really frightening, isn't it? It is. I mean, uh, you know, most states had drops, and we know that the pandemic uh, really did some serious damage to student learning. But Missouri's drops were were really, uh, really pretty devastating. Four out of ten of our fourth graders didn't even hit like the partial mastery level in reading. Like they didn't even get mm. to the basic line. And the same is true for our eighth graders in math. So we have these kids moving on who couldn't even, you know, master part of the material, and it's really a problem. It's almost half our kids. So. You know, I know that you want to talk about the Blue Ribbon Commission, but the, the Commissioner of Education said this is more evidence that high quality instruction matters. And I'm confused by that because it would seem to me that we haven't had high quality instruction. We've dropped by so much. And, uh, you know, I think our fourth graders did better than five other states. I don't see how that's anything to celebrate or I don't see how that points to the need for more high quality instruction. It seems to me that we really need to fix what's going on in our classrooms. Right. I mean, I think we're, uh, you know, we're putting lipstick on the pig uh, with that kind of oh, rhetoric. Yeah. Uh, how much how much of this has to do with um, a, a, a focus problem? In other words, with the indoctrination of CRT and the introduction of, you know, 1619 and other things that don't seem to be related. Well, they're not related to mm-hmm. core STEM type of things that people need to succeed in this country, in this world. How much of this is distraction from those core topics and improper instruction in those core topics? Or or is it both? Well, yeah, I'm glad you asked. That's a good question, because the fact of the matter is in Missouri, our test scores have been going down since like 2009, 10 years now. So the pandemic, yes. They drop like a rock for sure. And that happened across the board. But in Missouri, our test scores have been going down and we've swapped out tests a bunch of times. We've tried all these different approaches, none of which have worked. And so we've been going down for a while. And I think you're exactly right. Like all of these extra things that the school system has now taken on as their as their role, you know, from parents. They've taken these things from parents and they decided that they'll be in charge of it now. That's all well and good if you're getting the basics right. But if you're not doing the basic fundamental purpose of sending children to school, which is to teach them to, you know, read and write and do arithmetic, if you're not getting those right. Then all those extra things really uh, are taking away from your 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 basic purpose. And so we may have high school students leaving with all these kinds of 
you know, social skills and those types of things, but they can't do math, which means they're going to have a hard time in college or in a job. And we know that companies are not coming to Missouri because we don't have the workforce they want. And we're not producing that workforce. If four out of 10 of our eighth graders can't do basic math, then we know five five years after that, it's not going to look good. So you're right. We, you know, we've expanded the role for what our public schools and our public school teachers are supposed to be doing with their children. And then they, they kind of leave the basic principles behind and we need to get back and get focused making sure our kids, our youngest kids especially, can read. Because those fourth graders who can't read, they can't read a math book or a science book or a history book for that matter. So we need to get back to the basics, make sure we're getting that right, and uh, stay focused. on, Like you said, stay focused on the basic principles of uh, education. Is there any data on the... um uh, the retention of knowledge that's obtained by reading from a tablet or a computer versus reading from a book that has a binding on it. I, I hate to be a I hate to be an archaic dinosaur. I know you don't like, but is there a difference there? I don't know that there is any research on that. I mean, I do think reading is reading and understanding what you've read is the most important thing, right? Comprehension. So, you know, I I think that <clears throat> we're more likely to have moved towards these sort of fuzzier approaches to reading and to math. I was speaking with some uh, St. Louis County parents recently and the math books are now about like discover the answers and find the answers yourself, which is not the way math works. It's based on principles. And the same is said with reading. Now, some states like Mississippi, believe it or not, they started like this really rigorous science-based approach to early grade reading probably five, six years ago, maybe 10. And it really has um, the proof has been in the pudding. Like they did pretty well on this last round of tests in their fourth grade reading. And that really shows. And other states like Florida and Arizona that give parents lots and lots of options, their test scores have stayed pretty high. So, you know, in Missouri, we haven't gotten at this early science of reading stuff like phonics, like is how I learned to read. Um, we've moved away from that and uh, we need to get back to really having a high quality early reading program and working with our high school students to be able to tackle um, more complicated material in math and science. Yeah. Can we just teach our kids the difference between T-H-E-I-R and T-H-E-Y apostrophe R-E for crying out loud? I mean, when I see the grammar that young people use, Uh I'm sorry. Now, I know when I'm texting with my kids and I even I have occasionally said K instead of OK. OK, I get that. But I mean, when it comes to, you know, to formal language or a professional communication, I'm telling you, having been in management and leadership for a while now, I, there's just deterioration in basic grammatical skills, Susan. Yeah, you know who had fantastic grammatical skills? My grandmother. And <laughs> she went to school at the turn of the last century. She had amazing gra- grammatical skills and would never put up with the, uh, no one not knowing the difference between there and there. And uh, I do think that we have. I feel like we're sort of racing to the middle, if not racing to the bottom. Our expectation yeah. for kids has gotten lower and we're, you know, lowering the bar and it shows. And that's not helpful. I mean, it is frustrating to go to Starbucks and the person <laughs> serving you can't make change. You know what I mean? That's yeah. <laughs> we need to raise standards, yeah, God, not lower them. Yeah. 
We need to hold yeah, schools God forbid that cash, that cash register that tells them what change to give. God mm-hmm. forbid that that fails because then we wouldn't know what to do. Talking with Susan right. Pendergrass, Director of Education Policy at Show Me Institute, at Spendergrass. Is it, what is it? What's your Twitter, Spendergrass for? No, is that right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> Spendergrass for I like that. That's good. That's sure. a, that's a memorable <laughs> Twitter handle. All right. So look, um, while I I have been vocal, and I think you we just sort of alluded to that, and we said we can't ask teachers to be parents and counselors and and educate yeah. kids on good character and everything. I mean, yeah, what they do and holding them accountable is part of character, but we're asking them to do an awful lot. I remember when I was a young sure. pup. At that point. When I first got married, Susan, I didn't have any money at all. And we I would buy tools that were cheap in the bargain bin at the hardware store. Mm-hmm. And my dad told me, you get what you pay for. And if That's you right. buy a craftsman and it breaks, they're going to replace it free of charge. You'll have that craftsman That's for right. life. You know, and there's other tools, you know, uh, snap on and so forth. Okay. Well, let's translate that to teaching and you mm-hmm. know, paying for teachers and recruiting and retaining good teachers to give us our kids the best chance. Blue Ribbon Commission report out on recruitment and retention. Did they did they solve the problem or are they still somewhere out and lost in space? No, what they decided to do is to pay every teacher more regardless. And they have been pretty vocally against any sort of determination of who's actually a really good teacher and who's actually not a really good teacher. And in fact, we can't even in the state of Missouri give bonuses for high school math and science teachers or special ed teachers where we have had some shortages. But, you know, by pouring, but number one, we've been adding teachers every year. Our enrollment is down uh, since 2000. Like in the last 10 years, our, our enrollment's down 30, 40,000 kids, if not more than that, maybe 50,000. We've added teachers. We've added 2,500 teachers in that time. So school boards and superintendents have made decisions to continue to add staff and to add teachers as their approach and lower pupil teacher ratios. But guess what? That costs money. So you can't pay each teacher more if you're going to keep hiring more teachers and hiring more staff. So that's what, those are the decisions that have been made. And now the state would like to tell every district in the state, uh, regardless of local control, that they can't pay any new teacher less than $38,000, which doesn't work across the state of Missouri. Unfortunately, we have some communities where that's pretty high starting salary. But the state's going to mandate that from above and say that that's what we have to do, regardless of whether that's a great teacher or a not great teacher. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of work to be done on the teaching profession. Of course, it's a hard job. I don't disagree with that at all. But, but you know, there are countries that pay teachers a lot of money for the specialized content knowledge they bring. And they don't have to do everything for everyone. And, it you know, it is a very prestigious job, like Finland, I would say, the Netherlands, and that is more like college professor level stuff. And we pay teachers for being great teachers. We could pay teachers for them for to be great teachers and to have a lot of content knowledge, to really have a lot of knowledge in math or in science or in history. Instead, we have this focus on classroom management and pedagogy and learning styles and social emotional learning. And that just takes away from what we really need, which is teachers with deep knowledge of the subjects that they're teaching. And I think there's a lot of work to be done. The Show Me Institute's going to be releasing a report, hopefully pretty soon, on the teacher pipeline specifically in Missouri and where, if there are shortages, where those shortages are and what we could do to really raise the level of professionalism within the teaching force in Missouri. That's what I think we need to do. 
Yeah, and I guess unions have a lot to do with sort of the they do. the race to the mean, right? To where everyone gets the same pay, and as long as you have a pulse and you don't get in trouble, you just get step increases, and that doesn't really celebrate um, excellence and and incentivize it, does it? No, it doesn't. And, you know, teachers get rated as high quality and like every teacher gets a high quality rating, which means nothing. And then the same with all of our districts are fully accredited, which means nothing. So that's right. I think by not being willing to say the hard things and to say, you know, to a teacher, this may may, may not be the best profession for you. You know, we are unwilling to do those hard things. And so we're going to end up with, like you said, a race to the mean. And, and there's no you know, a lot of my, my kids are in their 30s. A lot of their friends who became teachers out of college have left the profession because they see their peers around them able to make a lot more money than they do by working hard. And if they work hard as a teacher, they get a step increase. You know, they it's a step in ladder, and that's all you're ever going to get out of that. So that's, that's a frustrating situation if you're really working hard and you're good at it. So it doesn't encourage excellence. And I think there are things that we could be doing that would pay great teachers more and bring more, you know, higher quality teachers into the profession and help them stay. Not really what the Blue Ribbon Commission has put forth, which is just more money, more benefits, more time off. You know, of course, that's going to be nice for the people who are there, but that doesn't get at the the root of the problem. Susan, final word, um, and I know you're going to be coming out with your, your report. I can't wait to talk to you about that when that happens, and make mm-hmm. sure you let me know so we can get you on. Um, I still think, though, that we do need to, at some point, hold families accountable. I recall my dad, who mm-hmm. was given a Mr. Holland's opus when he retired from leading the <laughs> music department at the Lindbergh his, uh, uh, Music Department in, in the late 90s. Great. Dad lamented the fact that inspiring kids to 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 do whatever subject they're in or to just in general be just be learners it's a it's a cliche lifelong learners i'm a curious george and i can't Mm -hmm. but think it's because along the way from mrs earl in third grade to i could name them mrs dietrich i can name them all i can think of them Uh, my college uh, my high school dr lisher the physics professor or physics teacher they were inspirational people. Forget about the content. They just loved what they did because they were allowed to focus on it. And at the same time, my parents expected me to perform well in school and they held me to my, my feet to the grindstone. Do we need to hold our parents more accountable and do we need to allow teachers to be just more inspirational by not distracting them as we've talked about already with all the other fluff that they need to do? Isn't that the secret sauce ultimately to, to student performance? Well, we do know that the influence of the family is actually stronger than the influence of the school. And we have known that since at least the 1960s when these massive studies uh, were put together. And it is hard to overcome the influence of the family in a school. So we do know the importance of that. It is hard to sort of create it one way uh, that I think you can create it is by getting parents invested in their child's education a great way to do that is letting them pick where their child goes to school. Imagine if you pick your doctor versus being assigned to a doctor, you have a little bit more skin in the game when even if you just pick the school. So we do know, you know, and private schools, parents are more invested, like they're financially invested and just more invested in making the effort to pick the school. And so in those test scores that came out this week, the schools that did really, really well, even through the pandemic, are the Catholic schools. And we see that just that little... Yeah, they if they were a state, they'd be number one on the nation. So the Catholic schools <laughs> would be great. But 
But what you see is that those parents are a little bit more invested and they've made a little bit more effort. And I think we could get that by having parents make a choice about where their children go to school and helping them get more invested in it. And, you know, we've seen some parent activism in the last couple of years. A lot of parents were really mad, quite frankly, during the pandemic. And then they've been madder when they've seen some of the curriculum that their kids are learning. Parents are getting more active or some parents are getting louder. And I think that's a good thing because I think Sometimes it's like uh, parent involvement means coming in and making copies or laminating things. That's not really involvement. You know, you should be a partner in your child's education. So anything we can do to encourage that, I would agree with you, is is the way to go. So it's 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 a that's a hard one. But, yes, it is a very important influence on a child's well-being. All right. And last thing now, we've been talking this morning and it's all over the news, at least the conservative news, about the rising star that is Carrie Lake in Arizona for governor. She's Mm -hmm. likely to win that race based on the latest polling. Arizona has been leading and we've talked about it before, has been leading the charge with, um, you know, school choice. What a great segue from Mm -hmm. what you were just talking about. Do you think that there's hope that if she continues to not only consolidate those gains with you know, school choice, but maybe even extend it, that that will become a model for, dare I say, Missouri? Or is that being too optimistic? (laughs) Missouri. Well, uh, interestingly, it's become a model for West Virginia. So Arizona was the first state a month or so ago that they let every family in the state, regardless of any circumstances, there's no qualifiers. If you would like, you can take your state education funding of $7,000 to any school of your choice, a different public school, a charter school, a private school, a religious school, doesn't matter. And they've had tens of thousands of families already sign up for that. They're just like, we're going to open it up. We're not afraid of what parents are going to do. If it shows that a bunch of our public schools, no one wants to go to them, so be it. And Governor Ducey did that. I would expect that if Carrie Lake becomes governor, you know, she'll do more of the same. Arizona's been a leader in school choice. And the test scores that came out this week, Arizona tops out. I mean, they've done a phenomenal job and the same is true in florida but now in west virginia any parent can take it's smaller it's about four thousand dollars to the school of their choice we have two states now where any family can go anywhere they want and i would love it if missouri were next but i'll tell you what that takes is strong leadership at the top i don't see that right now i don't see people running public education in the state either the board of education the commissioner the governor i don't see anyone standing up and saying, we're not going to accept these results. We're going to do big, innovative things. I see these blue ribbon commissions and task force and they never get anywhere. You know what I mean? It's like maybe tinkering at the margins. We need a big, strong leadership move like Arizona has had, West Virginia now and Florida. And I'd love to see Missouri be one of them. Well, there is no more articulate or informed advocate for the right thing in education for all the right reasons than Susan Pendergrass and uh, as director of education policy and all the great uh, things that you're doing at Show Me Institute, showmeinstitute.org. Susan, look, I'm going to ask everyone in this last week who hasn't voted to when they're at the, the, the rally, the stump speech for even their favorite Republican, their favorite conservative to hold their feet to the fire. And will mm-hmm. they commit to big transform transformational, innovative change when it comes to, uh, you know, well, let's just call it the show me agenda. And if they won't, that's right. maybe, yeah, maybe we need to hold their feet to the fire. Thanks, Susan. Appreciate it. Okay. We look forward Thank to that so to report coming out. Let us know when it's uh, when it's out and we'll we'll get you on again. OK. OK, take care. 
All right. Thank you. Susan Pendergrass uh, from Show Me Institute. And there you go. The proof's in the pudding. The states that give parents choice, competition is good. Guess what happens? The children do well. What better argument is there for that transformational change than that evidence? All right. I'm Randy Tobler. When we come back, Tony Colombo joins us on The Tobler Show, and we're going to talk about some cultural items, his thoughts on the midterms, and um, whether he has been able to hug baby Fitzpatrick or not. I just want to know if he's been able to visit or not. We'll talk with him about that. As we come back on The Tobler Show, uh, 314-912-1019, if you want to join in on the show, we'd love to have you join us. We'll be back in just a minute. are coming up and uh, when I think of elections and election night coverage and all things News Talk STL I think of Tony Colombo and uh, you hear him with Katie when she returns from maternity leave uh, every weekday here from 2 to 3.30 on News Talk STL and he joins us today and I understand you're a little under the weather with a bad back huh Tony? Doug not only does my uh, professional life fall apart when Katie's not around apparently my uh personal life does as well. Uh, yeah, I threw out my, I threw out my back on Thursday evening and I've had back problems my entire life. You, you and I have talked a little bit about that and, you know, yeah. off the air over the years and some of the various treatments and things that I've done. But, uh, but yeah, what, what happened to me on Thursday night was way worse than anything I have experienced. But, uh, been to the dock. I missed yesterday, so I'm about 24 hours behind the news cycle, Doc. So uh, you might have to help me out on a few things that are brand new that are breaking news. But uh, but I've been to the dock and I've got my I've got my muscle relaxers and my steroids and and uh, we're getting we're getting better. So we'll be all right. Are we make we making a little improvement? I hope because uh, it can yes, be I, there's nothing worse sure. than back pain because you can't sleep oh. either. So then you're disoriented. Yeah, I know it's terrible. yeah. No, it was, it was, it was, it was crazy for the first, uh, until I got, until I got up and got a steroid shot and got yeah. some of this medicine going, it was, it was pretty rough, but we're getting there now. We're now how, right. how, I, I have to know, how did you do this? Where did you get into a tussle with a progressive or, I mean, was it something? I was, you know what? I got into a tussle no? with a, I got into a tussle with a five-year-old, my, my, <laughs> my, my five-year-old and I. Where uh, uh, my son and I were just playing around, and, and I was, you know, and, and because I've done, because I've had a bad back for such a long time, and and I've thrown it out doing things like lifting boxes or shoveling snow or other things, I'm usually pretty, you know, uh, uh, sensitive to that kind of stuff. This was just we. I didn't do anything. I just did a like a. He and I were kind of messing around, and I did like a little bit of a jump. And when I landed from this little jump, and I mean a little jump, like maybe get a slide a piece of paper underneath my feet as uh, as I got off the ground. Um, But uh, yeah, but when I came back down, it was just, I guess I just hit it just right. Uh, And you know, immediately it's like a, it's like a pop goes off throughout your entire body. So yeah, you you knew, you knew immediately there was something wrong. Yeah, I've had that happen two or three times in my life. Thankfully, just, uh, you know, a couple times. But I, I think one time I went out to get the paper 
you know, when we were getting papers, another time yeah. it was to go and re- readjust the sprinkler. You know, I reached down to switch the sprinkler yeah. in a different direction. And I, you get, you, suddenly you're walking around like you're 100 years old. It's awful. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, this is this is exactly what it was. And it was uh, it was the worst one I've ever done. Uh, but like I said, we're we're getting much better. And as long as if you as long as I don't move, um, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> All right. Well, while you're having a lot of pain, I think Democrat operatives are having a lot of pain looking at the polls to the extent oh, we can, man. you know, believe those. But uh, after I wanted to play something from last week that, um, you know, I thought maybe you'd like to comment on, because I think that was a talk about a nightmare, a bad land on your land on your head, not your back yeah. moment, and, and the concussion and the headaches are still going. Here's a little clip from one of the debates last week. Saying tonight that you support fracking, that you've always supported fracking, but there is that 2018 interview that you said, quote, I don't support fracking at all. So how do you square the two? Oh, uh, I, I, I do support fracking and I don't, I don't, I support fracking and I stand and I do support fracking. You know, you know, here his, his family's company was. All right. Well, uh, Tony, there, I, I think that was a moment that will define this election in Pennsylvania, at least if not nationally, what say you? That debate was absolutely incredible. And and if you paid attention to the interview that he did with ABC, uh, uh, John Fetterman, uh, about a month ago, you know, the uh, Dasha Burns, who conducted that interview, told the world uh, that the, the situation that John Fetterman was in with his auditory processing issues. But she was she, when, when she made the statement that, you know, once the interview was started and we were sitting across from each other, you know, it was it was still a little awkward and there were some, you know, issues, but it wasn't as bad. But, as, you know, but as soon as we got there and before all that closed captioning machine was hooked up, um, you know, there was a real struggle to communicate. There was a real struggle uh, for him to understand or be able to um, communicate to, to to the interviewer. And when she put that information out, everybody said that she was trying to, that she was overdoing it. It wasn't that bad. She was over-exaggerating, trying to turn the voters against John Fetterman. I don't know what people were thinking. I don't know what they, I don't know if they thought they could just continue to hide his condition as, you know, and it would somehow magically just go away eventually if they just kept pushing it off and hiding it from the people. But Everything that she said was true and then some. And, you know, this is this is a, a concern for people. And, and, I've, and I did a story earlier this week that after that um, debate, people in the Democratic Party, uh, I think it was a story about, on, uh, done by NBC News. So not even, you it was know, Liz um, Plank. Yeah, it was Liz yeah. Plank at MSNBC who wrote a wrote an editorial. Yeah. Yeah, who said that they are pan that the inside of the Democratic Party are panicking because of the condition that John Fetterman is in and the and and the performance that he gave in that debate. I mean, he literally, Doc, as you saw, started the first things he said in the interview when they introduced him. He said, "Thank you." They said, "You know," and, and Lieutenant Governor Fetterman. He said, "Thank you, everybody. Good night." <laughs> and, and, I, no, and I'm no. sure what he meant to say was good evening, like good evening. It's great right. to be here. But he that was very, the very, literally the first words out of his mouth were thank you. Good night. 
uh, which yeah. which set the tone for what type of of evening it was going to be. Uh, and and the report from from uh, NBC is that the Dem- that Democrats on the inside are panicking after that debate, and that there was a Democratic strategist uh, a, 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 a consultant that was quoted in that uh, story that said everybody that's on that campaign should be everybody that greenlit that debate on his side should be fired and should never work again because it was such a disaster and they knew it was going to be such a disaster. And I go back to you know what I just said that I. I don't understand what they were thinking. I don't understand why they thought if they, they must've just truly thought that they could just kick the can down the road long enough. And that somehow magically his medical condition would get better. And eventually that, you know, that the American people and, and, and the voters in Pennsylvania would never see the condition, the true condition he was in. But I, I, I don't. I don't know what I'm, they were. I don't know if I'm they were always hoping cautious. against hope. I don't. I don't get it. I don't know. I'm always cautious about uh, making medical pronouncements on individual situations, but I know that uh, several neurologists have come out and weighed in that you know this many months after an event like that. Um, it's it, you know you sort of plateau in your improvement, and while we hope and pray for Fetterman's you know, complete recovery, even though I disagree with him politically. I don't want anyone to have to struggle like he is. Sure. Um, for that matter, Paul Pelosi, my God, what a what a horrific thing to be attacked with a hammer and have a skull fracture at his age. It's It's got awful, you know. But mm-hmm. that said, um, you're right. I mean, they should have known better. But I guess at this point, they're so desperate as they saw Oz closing in and they figured maybe, you know, either way, it was a downer. Right. It, it was a, it was the better. They thought it was probably the lesser of two evils. You know, that's for sure. And I yeah. misspoke when I said Liz Plank, but Liz Plank had was the one who then came out in the wake of criticism, largely from the right. But like you say, even from within MSNBC, she wrote an editorial that said that now anyone who criticizes his poor performance, and let's let's admit it, being a senator, a large part of that is communication and debate and, you know, so forth, uh, that we're we're guilty of ableism, Tony. Now we're able. I've never criticized Tammy Duckworth, even though I disagree with her politically, for her physical disability. I never criticized uh, Madison Cawthorn for his disability, even though I radically disagreed with his behavior and it got him primaried. Uh, that's not the point here. He's he's not fit for the requirements of that job, just like Joe Biden isn't. And isn't it ironic that Joe Biden, Kamala Harris and Fetterman now are campaigning? They were on a speech the other day, a, a campaign event. Isn't it funny? The three worst oh. communicators on the planet are trying to defend John Fetterman. You can't write you can't make this stuff up. No, you can't. And and Doc, you make a great point in that 99% of people, John Fetterman's recovery and what he's able to do and the way he is able to speak and he's able to get, and, and it is a lot better when he's hooked up to one of those uh, closed captioning machines. You know, if that's a sub, if that's somebody, if that's a friend of yours or somebody that's in your family, you are, you're thrilled with the, with yeah, the yeah. progress they've made. But right, right. that's, but there are qualifications and you can, and you can still, and John Fetterman can still do do many things and most people could and, and you know with those limitations that he has because of you know apparently his his cognitive skills are still there it's just the you know the the process of of communicating those things but so you know he's he's got a lot to be proud of in his recovery but he's he but you're not fit to serve in the United States Senate if you are in that condition in my opinion and that's where the big issue comes in 
Right. We're talking with Tony Colombo, who's temporarily disabled. And so we can. So if I make a little joke, if I joke and say, hey, I don't think I'm going to hire Tony Colombo to be my yoga instructor today. We don't no, get to do that. Because he's down with his back and he's a good sport and he knows I'm not making fun of him. We're just we're just, you know, we're having having making light of what's a temporary condition. But he's a you're a real soldier for coming on the program this morning. Hey, I'm just glad What's to be now, back man? on the air, Doc. I'm just glad to be back on the radio, so I appreciate it. <laughs> hey, when we come back, uh, Katie, uh, Katie, <laughs> Katie had a baby, and we're celebrating mm-hmm. that. But Leah, Leah sent me a story that had me quite concerned, Tony, because I thought, you know, being sort of a one of a of, of a more mature citizen, let's say that, that I was pretty hip with my utilization of various emojis. Well, now I may have to rethink that in light of that. And we'll talk about emoji canceling. Oh, boy. And generations. We come back and talk about that with Tony Colombo on the Randy Tobler Show here on News Talk STL 1019-941. I was chasing a We're back here with our last segment as we're having a good time. While Tony's not, Tony Colombo joins us valiantly fighting through some back pain. You'll hear him every weekday here. Uh, Katie less now on Colombo and Katie, but she'll be back as she enjoys her baby Maeve. What a great, great name, Maeve. I love that name. And she's doing well. Have you had a chance to hug Maeve yet and or not? Has she brought has Katie brought Maeve back through the studio? She's still a little young. I have not got a chance to to see the baby in person yet, but uh, I've talked to Katie many times and have seen lots of great pictures, and everybody is happy and healthy and uh, doing fantastic. And Katie actually said a few days ago that she has, uh, for the first time in a long time, not looked at the news and not looked at any politics and has just focused on uh, you know, being a mom and she says it's wonderful. And that's every, and I say that every time I go on vacation or anything like that, go, you know, take yeah. the family on vacation. If you can unplug for a few days and get away from this crazy world, it's, it's, it's good for the soul. It's, it's important really, to re-engage when you get yeah. back, but you know, anytime you, you, there's something that's important going on in your life or you just need to take a break. Um, it's a good thing to do when you get that opportunity. So good for her. Yeah. Now, Tony, you're not as old as me, but you know that we try to keep we we want to stay hip with our kids. Now, see, just by using that word, I aged myself. But, you know, I I try to use emojis. I use exclamation points on my texting and I try to, you know, really be stay up to speed with what's what's happening. And now I read that Generation Z is canceling the hostile in air finger quotes, thumbs up emoji and, and a few others. Uh I'm startled. I'm I'm dismayed. What am I to do? I can't keep up with this. I, I, are you worried about maybe offending some one of your gen? Maybe you you might offend Leah if you inappropriately use a uh, an emoji. Is, does it have you worried? <laughs> it does. It does because I never. You never know what you can and can't do. I remember when they. I remember when they canceled the OK sign. And they canceled using the letter K if instead of, you know, if you would just were going to say OK to somebody, just type in the letter K and, and move on. I remember when all that got canceled and I and I didn't understand it when that happened. And, and it took me a while to learn. It took me a while to learn those rules. And, yeah, now I'm hearing. Yeah, now now they're saying that the thumbs up emoji here in and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the reason that they say that 
things are canceled is because it, if you just send a thumbs up, just like with the, the letter K, you, when you just send the thumbs up, you're, you're not engaging enough. You're not showing the person that you're really engaged mm-hmm. enough in the conversation. You're being too short with the, you're too, being too brief. But it's a cop out. But, I agree. Yeah, it's passive aggressive. Yeah. I, I agree. Is it that the point of the emoji? I think Leah's going to spank us here. Okay, tell us. But, okay, here's my. Well, but here's my question. Here's my question. Isn't that what that is was created for? Isn't the isn't that emoji created for the being able to quickly respond to somebody and make it easier to keep the the conversation moving quickly or give a quick response to somebody who's waiting for the answer to a question? I thought that was what I, I thought that's what emojis. We're literally created for. Yes, but I I don't know. Just me personally, I totally get the passive aggressiveness of it. And what's passive aggressive? De- depending about it? depending on who's sending it and the conversation surrounding it, I look at it as a, as like a blow off. Like if okay, I'm having no, a conversation, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang, hang on here. Now you know I love you, Leah. I love you like a daughter. Okay, and I, if if your dad wasn't your daughter, I'd adopt. If he wasn't your father, I'd adopt you. You know that. I'd adopt you. Okay, but now wait a minute. There's there's times when you send me something. You say, hey, I got an opportunity to get this guest. Like, oh, you got. I mean, you got Jimmy Fallon for a, you know a couple weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. And I when you said, is that a good thing? I I thought when I responded with thumbs up, I thought. For, yeah. Little did you That's know when thing. I first yeah. received that, I yeah. was I was driving and I wanted to give you a response. Now, if I'd have typed it out, oh Leah, thank you. I'm I'm so thankful. <laughs> you know, hands praying emoji. With a hands praying emoji. <laughs> no, don't do that, Leah. Don't do that, Leah. Doc, you never know. You never know. Religion can be bad too. Oh, no, hands no. Praying, doc. no, you know, in that in that circumstance in that conversation, I think it's okay. The thumbs up is okay. Oh, oh. Okay. Well, give me an example where it isn't okay. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, it's a good one. I don't really. I don't know if I have one. It just depends on who I'm case. talking to, and case what I'm talking. <laughs> like, what did you say? Now, I, I say I heard that you got a. Case. I heard that you. Yeah. Tony, I. Uh, I mean, Leah, I heard that you had a, a back and forth text with Tony that put you off a little bit recently. That you weren't sure <laughs> what he was saying. <laughs> no, this was oh, like <laughs> exclamation points, right? <laughs> no, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh. Okay, so a few weeks ago, or like two weeks ago, you texted me and said, "When you get here, stop by my office because I need to talk to you about something." And that period. was it, just a period. And I'm like, "Oh Ooh. my gosh, what did I do? Oh. I didn't do anything, but what's going to come up? You know, am I fired? Because anytime you don't send an exclamation point, I'm like, that's it." I'm fired. Like I'm getting fired. (laughs) And then you follow. follow Yes. Yeah. Yes, you did. And I I am so glad you did. I am. I am so happy you use exclamation points when you're talking to me because otherwise, I don't know. (laughs) I'd be like panicking. Hey, hey guys, who hasn't done this where you send something and exclamation point or not? And you wonder you meant it funny, but you're not sure you you think it through and you go, ooh, yeah, it might be taken as a. So then you have to put like three 
smiley crying faces yeah. your next yes yes to prove the point that you're yeah to make sure you're driving home the point that you uh are joking yeah i did though i i caught myself and realized what i said to leah and i and i quickly responded <laughs> with it's not bad exclamation yeah. point it's not bad exclamation point but i imagine the, the the 30 seconds that passed between the two texts i could see why it would be uh concerning but yeah no and, and here's the thing if it's ever bad i'm probably not gonna send you a, a text anyway i'm probably gonna wait till you're in oh, so gosh. just so you know just so oh, you know i wouldn't i wouldn't leave it i wouldn't let you i wouldn't let something like that be dangling over your head okay. um, i want to play you so some, tony i want to play you something as we wrap it up here and get your uh, sure. thoughts about the upcoming midterms here is uh, probably one of the greatest speeches ever given by a modern american president a little clip from reagan's speech a, Cho- a time for choosing friends of mine were talking to a Cuban refugee, a businessman who had escaped from Castro. And in the midst of his story, one of my friends turned to the other and said, we don't know how lucky we are. And the Cuban stopped and said, how lucky you are. I had some place to escape to. And in that sentence, he told us the entire story. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. Well, these midterms, many think, are the last stand on earth against the progressive fascist avalanche that has engulfed us for the last year and a half. Tony, what are you thinking at this time, nine days from the election, about the midterms? Will we, in fact, be able to retain the greatest planet, uh, country the planet's ever seen and the freedom that they're in? That is incredibly powerful stuff from President Reagan. And I think that a message, and, and, and fortunately, I think a message that is starting to rebound we've got a long way to go obviously the the progressive left has got this country on a path that is uh that has that has no future has no long-term future and is very dangerous but i think more and more people are waking up to that fact and i think that we will see that on election night um i want to remind folks that we'll be here all night for you on election night we will be covering that uh all all the important uh races will be in that you know we'll be covering special coverage that night we'll be here as long as you need us to be uh we'll also of course be everywhere you know ahead before the election and after the election not only on the radio but all of our social media platforms and yeah doc i think that that is i mean on a week where we saw the first ever did we lose mexican Oh, did I, my, you guys got me? Yep, you're still there. Okay. Uh, on the on the on we the week where we saw the first ever Mexican-born Congresswoman uh, not allowed to join the Latino. There, I don't know. Well, that'll wrap okay. it up. I guess. I don't think Doc can hear me, so I'll let show. you guys go. Um, yep. Thanks, guys. Yep. Leave thank you. Well, I don't know. I lost Tony. I don't know what happened. That's weird. Tony. Well. Well, Tony will be anchoring that uh, election coverage as he always does on every election night, and I'm sure there'll be a a co-host and cast of thousands there. Well, regardless of the little technical glitch here, it's always fun to be with you. Glad that you were here this morning. We look forward to a wild and woolly last week, and of course, we'll have that final show before the election next Saturday and make our final predictions and ask for yours as well. For Leah, I'm Randy Tolbert. Thanks for being with us. Remember, faith family, freedom will restore this country to the greatest that the planet's ever seen. Have a great weekend. See you next week.